Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome back to another episode of Blitzcast. This is your host, Brendan Bolin. And as always, I'm joined alongside my great partner, Ed Hunt. How you doing today, brother? Pretty good, man. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic, Ed. And you know why I'm doing fantastic. We'll get into it a little bit later, but we know what happened this last Monday. The Georgia Bulldogs were able to finally knock Nick Saban off, and I am so excited to talk about that game. I mean, that was a phenomenal fourth quarter. Before I get too carried on with that, um, go over some other crazy stuff that happened. I mean, the Chargers pretty much outed themselves in the playoffs. We have the Eagles, you know, finding the, the Eagles clenched a couple weeks ago, but this playoff is looking so different than we could have thought it. One of the teams that really should have been in it, like I just mentioned, is the Chargers, Ed. That Chargers and Raiders game was, I mean, you could make an argument that that was the game of the year. Um, everybody went into that game understanding that if these two teams tied, they could both make the playoffs. And it was it was looking like it was going to be that way, Ed. It came down to overtime, for crying out loud. It came down to a last-second field goal. And... There was a crucial error by the Chargers that honestly may have cost them a playoff spot, Ed. But man, was that game exciting! And uh, just just take me into that game, Ed. What what was what was going on in that shootout? You know, I I think there was a little bit of chess going on with the Oakland Raiders, um, and I I do believe the Oakland Raiders at some point said we'd rather play the Steelers than the Los Angeles Chargers in the playoffs. I legitimately think that's what happened. That's fair. I mean, because you never you never really want to play a divisional rival in a, you know, in a playoff game because it that division rival may be, you know, inferior to you, but at the end of the day, you've played them twice. You play them twice a year. They know you. You're going to have to come out with your best game plan regardless. So, um that that's a great point, Ed, because you know, the Steelers are a team that nobody, you know, they had what a 4% chance to make it to the playoffs. Like nobody was expecting them to be a playoff team. And, you know, quite honestly, if I'm the Raiders, I would rather play play Pittsburgh. That's a fantastic point there, Ed. Um, and, you know, they, they after the game, they were saying about uh, stuff about it, how Brandon Staley taking that timeout, did that cost the Chargers the tie? Um, because they were saying on the Raiders' sideline that there was a very big discussion about taking the tie because... Regardless, the Raiders win that game or they tie, they make the playoffs. So they were t- kind of taking into consideration, hey, we don't necessarily have to come out and kick this field goal. We can knee it out, take the tie. If we kick the field goal, we're taking a chance of getting this blocked in return and we lose the game. So we could knee this ball out. The clock's running. There's there's about two minutes or so left. And, and we go home with the tie and make it in the playoffs. But Brandon Staley decides to call a timeout and just ruin the flow of everything. The Raiders are like, all right, you want to play that game? We're going to just take the win. I mean, we, we're already being gracious enough trying to run the clock out. Now you want to take a timeout and waste our time. All right, we'll just take the win at this point. And I don't know if you had a chance to see it, Ed. At the end of the game, Austin Eckler was talking to, um, I'm blanking on his name. I'm sorry. It's the Raiders long snapper. They were talking and it looked like he told him that the Raiders were planning on taking the tie and Austin Eckler looked really, really upset about it. So, um... That's just that's just a crucial error from Brandon Staley. Ed, in that situation, 
you know, you're not even really going to get the ball back. So what on earth was that timeout even going to do for you? It, it had no benefits clock management wise. At the end of the day, it pretty much was just your exit of the playoffs. Yeah, it, it, it was a questionable move. And I think a lot of people are questioning it. <clears throat> you're not the first journalist to be questioning that move. I, I think at that point, yeah, I think it changed the Raiders' mentality. And it kind of said, you know, I think it kind of lit a fire under the radars and, Raiders and said, all right, if you, you know, if you do this to us, we're going to do that to you. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, it, it was it was a little tit for tat. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, like I said, you know, you're our division rival. We're already being gracious enough. You want to waste my time? Get out of here. But man, all I got to say, Ed, is I'm really, really hoping that after that game, Derek Carr stays with the Raiders for the next five years because, oh my gosh, Justin Herbert versus Derek Carr for the next five years sounds incredible. I I mean, and two times a year at that, Ed, oh, count me in, man. I mean, I may hate both of these teams, but I love good football. And every single time they have made for some fantastic football. I mean, Ed, the, the Chargers, Justin Herbert, I guess, converted six times on fourth down ed six times one of those on was like fourth and plus 15 like that's disgusting i don't think i've ever seen a team attempt six fourth down conversions let alone successfully convert six times ed i that's that's just unbelievable and even though the chargers found a way to lose this game in classic chargers fashion i mean like i know we're saying every week but man justin herbert is just so special man so special because every time the Chargers had their back against the wall that game and it's you know they absolutely have to convert on this fourth down if they even want a chance to be in this game they did it every single freaking time man and I can't say I've ever seen a team in my entire life do that I have never seen a team convert so many times with their back against the wall and I, I, I honestly was like almost at a loss for words that game because I was just so unbelievably impressed every play Herbert had to make, he made. And sorry, I'm rambling on here, but I wanted to point out another thing about the Raiders. The last few weeks, the Raiders have just, you know, we were talking about them a few weeks ago, how impressed we are that they were able to make it in the playoffs with everything that's happened to them. But um, you even strip that away. What they're doing on the football field, game plan wise and everything is just super impressive because um, when the Raiders were on that cold streak and um, people thought, you know, they didn't really have a shot, Josh Jacobs was not that good. He really was not playing good football. But ever since it was like, hey, the Raiders, we just beat the Browns. We have a serious chance to make the playoffs again. So from that game on, Josh Jacobs has been the man. And he has done everything and more that the Raiders organization has asked him to. And I think Josh Jacobs is somebody that needs to get a lot of credit right now because um, rightfully so, a lot of it's been going to Derek Carr. I mean, the dude is carrying that team, but... I mean, Josh Jacobs was having career lows at the beginning of the season. In the last three weeks, he's had two of the best games of his career. And those are when you needed him the most ever in his three-year career. He has shown up. So just you have to be really, really impressed with your guys if you're a Raiders fan because anybody that you needed to step up in the biggest biggest time of the year, that person has done it. The Raiders are a scary team coming in the playoffs, Ed. I don't care what the record is. My dad and I always talk about it's about getting hot at the right time. And the Raiders are one of those teams that are getting hot at the right time, Ed. I do I do believe that statement. I do believe that a little bit of football is 
you know, when your streak is, you know, coming. And, I mean, we, we see it in all sports, right? Like, we see teams get hot and cold, right? Like, we've seen it with, you know, a baseball player goes through a slump and they say, you know, how do you prevent a slump? And we just don't know. We just don't know. And, and I think if we did know, we would fix it, right? And I think the same thing with football players. I think the same thing happens. It's just some some years, you know, some guys are great and some guys, some guys are figured out. And, um, you know, there's always these adjustments that need to be made. Right, absolutely. And it's just... Like I like I said, it's unbelievable that this Raiders team has been able to make those adjustments through everything, all the adversity that they've you know had to go through, and um, this this just shows how incredible not even just a football player, but how incredible of a human being that Derek Carr is to be able to you know still support all of your guys that have gone through some serious you know issues, and then be one of the best quarterbacks in football and still always just, you know, he never says anything wrong to the media. He's never been, you know, involved in a scandal, anything or this and that. The dude for the last almost decade has just been what you want for your franchise quarterback. So, um, you know, Ed and I, I remember a few weeks ago, we were talking about how we think Derek Carr's name should at least be in the conversation. I don't think he deserves any votes, but for the conversation for MVP, because he's not the best player but I really think there are few players that are as valuable to their franchise as Derek Carr is to the Raiders. And folks, without Derek Carr, the Raiders see zero playoff chances this year. And I hope everybody realizes that. And if Derek Carr, um, you know, sees his departure from Las Vegas this this offseason, then I, I think the Raiders are in for a tough future because I really think that guy is is about 80% of your franchise right now. But Ed, before I go on and on and on about my crush on Derek Carr, let's talk about Black Monday, one of the ugliest days of the year for coaches that are on the hot seat. And we, we were talking a little bit a few weeks ago about what coaches we think deserve to get fired, and baby, I hit the nail on the hammer, um, or however that saying goes. I'm too young for that. Whatever. There was some there was some good fires. I mean, Mike Zimmer, absolutely. I think everybody saw that. Um, everybody saw that coming. Matt Nagy, absolutely. Um, one that people are 50-50 on is Vic Fangio. You know, I can see why people think he deserved to stay. And I also understand where the fire came from. Ed, one that I haven't been able to wrap my head around, I don't think you have, and I don't think most of America has been able to wrap their head around. Why on earth did the Dolphins fire Brian Flores? That's the one that surprises me the most. Especially with the winning streak that he went on at the end. Exactly, Ed. They started off 0-7. and 0-7. And they finished... They, they finished with, like, right around a 500. I can't remember if they were one game above 500 or one below. But to go on a seven-game win streak after you've lost seven consecutive... That's, that's unbelievable. And I get in the three season he has been there. He has not made the playoffs. Okay, I get that. But last season... He went 10 and 6, I believe. 10 and 6 or 11 and 5 and missed the playoffs. That was a record a lot of AFC teams made the playoffs with last year. So, had one other team lost one more game, he's in the playoffs and I seriously doubt that he gets fired this year if that's the case, which in my opinion is just not fair because yeah, the Dolphins, they were supposed to be a very good team. Had they had started the season off hot, they probably would have had a serious chance to make the playoffs, but unfortunately, things didn't happen, but you can't, the guy figured it out, right, Ed? I mean, if you go 7-1 and one the last eight games of the season, 
that kind of seems like a guy has at least got some places, some things in place to understanding how he wants to run this football team. For, I mean, Joe Judge, it took him an extra day to get fired, and Brian Flores was one of the first fires that happened. I mean, you know, Ed, I, I, I got a question for you. Does this maybe mean that there's, like, disagreements within the organization that we just don't know about? Because one thing I know for sure is he did not want Tua. He wanted Justin Herbert all day, all day long. He wanted to draft Justin Herbert, and they didn't. So I know that that has been a thing that has kind of caused issues within that organization, but... Tua didn't play horrible football on that win streak. He played very, very solid, and he played good enough to win you football games. I get he's the guy that has all the embarrassing turnovers. Whatever. They went on a seven-game win streak, Ed, and I still, I I just, I can't convince myself that it was due to his coaching ability. It had to be something within the organization itself. Well, we asked the question, I mean, do, do they have disagreements within organizations? Definitely. I mean, you know, the GM may have one guy in mind and the, the you know, the head coach may have another guy in mind. Um, so that that is something that happens. I think I think there are conversations that happen within organizations that say, you know, who has the final say on this? Who has the final say on that? Um, and and that's that's kind of the establishment of responsibility. But yeah, I mean, you know that that can that can definitely spur, um, you know, it can definitely spur controversy within an organization. And we've seen that sometimes just, you know, people within an organization they're two good people, they just don't like each other, and one has to go. Right. All right. Ed, that's a fantastic point. Um, you know, that's and I'm not. That's I'm not a fire. saying that. I'm not saying that necessarily is what happened with Brian Flores. No. Right. 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 That's just that's a situation that could happen. Um, but you know, that's that's one fire you and I necessarily can't get behind, and like I said, a lot of other people can't. One that um, I know you were still somewhat questionable on is Vic Fangio. Now I understand why a lot of people wanted to keep Fangio, and I understand why everybody wanted him gone at the same time. I mean. The dude had inexcusable clock management errors, and he beat himself the same way week in and week out. It was the fact that he wasn't willing to learn from his mistakes. I am not doubting this guy's football ability in any way, shape, or form. I think he will be the most attractive um, you know, defensive coordinator hire out there by a million miles. I mean, this guy is going to land a very, very, very nice job. I mean, seriously, when... When he is playing the strict role of defensive coordinator, he is top five, maybe top three when he's doing it. And I, I truly believe that. I just, you know, Denver, they have, they've had a very good defense for a long time. And I think it's, I think they're just ready for an offensive guy. They're tired of losing games due to the offensive mishaps. The defense has done everything they could and more for them to keep them in games. It's just gotten to the point where offensive clock management, inability to have a strong offensive scheme and you know I think a lot of that's on Pat Shermer I think Pat Shermer was a huge huge issue but I also think at at the end of the day the head coach has to take some accountability and I know you're a guy that is all for you know letting coaches work their problems out and stuff like that but Ed your opinion should Vangio have been gone or no I'm just not ready to take Vangio out I, I just and maybe there's things that happen within the organization that I don't know I think as a defensive mind, Fangio is is about as good as it gets. I thought he did a great job with the defense. I thought there was improvement with the Broncos. I think I think really what the problem was is he just didn't have the right quarterback. And I can't blame him for not having the right quarterback. 
That's fair. But, Ed, the one thing I will say, um, I, I 100% agree with you. He did not have the right quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke are not the options for Denver. But I will say this. As a head coach, you have to support your guys. Am I right? Like, you you have to, you, regardless, if you don't think your guy is going to be, you know, Pro Bowl level, you're the head coach. You still got to support these guys. That's your job. I, I believe he supports his guys. I, I, well, I, I mean, so... Okay, go on so, with what you're going to say. Okay, so... Teddy Bridgewater has a four interception game, Ed. Four interceptions. There is no excuse for a four interception game. I get it. Receivers make mistakes and, you know, you can have a really ugly game. But when Fick Fangio is literally defending a four interception game from Bridgewater and a game where you lose by, you know, two plus possessions, he's quite literally defending him. He's saying that he, you know, he played a good game that game. Um, other things just didn't go our way. But when Drew Locke, you know, has has no turnovers and, you know, has a, you know, subpar game. It, Ten times the game Teddy Bridgewater had that day, he's criticizing him. You know, when he's asked about him, he says, oh, it, it's hard to say anything good about your offense when they have so and so many yards. But meanwhile, Teddy Bridgewater can throw four interceptions and you're defending him. I get it. I don't dislike Teddy Bridgewater. I don't dislike Drew Locke. I don't think they're the guys, though. I think they're very good, could be very good backups in this league. And I understand Fangio's frustrations, but... If I mean, I was somebody that vouched and vouched and vouched for Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, from day one that he was brought in, I said, this is the starter for Denver. I didn't think Drew Locke was the guy, and I, I still honestly don't. But from what I've seen, Drew Locke brings so much more to that offense than Teddy Bridgewater does. It's not even funny. It is not even funny. And, you know, who's to say that he's not encouraging him when he's in the locker room? But I'm just saying, when you're putting that out in in public saying like almost obviously saying hey Teddy's my guy not Drew Locke just by those two simple statements that's something that that you know is really conflicting for you know a lot of Denver fans I know Denver fans hated him after that they were very very upset with him after that because I mean I would that's fair that's fair how are you going to defend a quarterback that throws four interceptions and then criticize one that takes care of the football but maybe doesn't have an explosive day so I'm just saying that as a coach you know he was really 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 not good on the mic and that's not necessarily what I'm looking for in a coach but I'm also looking for a coach that supports his guys to the fullest and doesn't you know have backhand remarks to his to his football players I I understand there were things that happened behind closed doors but I still I still I still stand by the fact that you know, you're asking you're asking him to win games with an injured. Teddy. I mean, also Teddy Bridgewater got injured twice this year, and you're expecting him. I mean, he was almost a playoff team. I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, he's he's the defensive master. I thought the Broncos defense was always good. I thought the Broncos defense was even good when Von Miller left, and they didn't really hadn't had as much talent on that side of the ball. So to be honest with you, I thought Fangio was the one doing his job. That's, I mean, so let me ask you this. Would it have been a better route to say, get rid of Shermer and then go out and get you a top-notch offensive coordinator and keep Fangio as your head coach? Yeah, and, and, and get the right offensive coordinator and then also get the right the right quarterback. The, the fact of the matter is, is that if Aaron Rodgers is running the show, we have a whole different story about Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio came to... Denver and he tried in tribulations and then he won at the end and 
you know, he, 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 he stayed loyal to this team and there were times where they thought about lo- losing him, but they stayed loyal and Patone is a hero for staying loyal to Fangio. It's just winning, winning, winning changes the narrative. That's fair. But so, so my only, when, when I, I'm not ever going to, you know, put a, um, yeah, I'm, in, in Fangio's defense, absolutely, Locke and Bridgewater aren't the guys. I will never put that as a knock against Fangio's coaching. It's, it, you know, I, that's never going to be, you know, the fact that he's not able to put up 30 points a game because he's working, I understand what he's working with. The fact that, th- this is a, a perfect example, week 17, or week 18, Ed, the Kansas City Chiefs come to Denver. They have not beaten the Chiefs in 12, now con- thir- 13 consecutive matchups, Ed. 13. Since Peyton Manning is left, and you're telling me it is, there's about three minutes left, Ed, and it's, what, fourth and eight, I think, and you're inside the 10 or 15-yard line, and you're down, you're down eight, I think, so, or no, you're down, you're down seven, you're down seven. If you kick a field goal, Ed, mathematically, you still have to get another touchdown. Okay, so you have to get a touchdown. On top of that, you have to stop one of the best offenses the last 15, 20 years from from getting one first down. So you could go for it on fourth down and, okay, you don't get it. The Chiefs still have to drive 90 yards to score, which would be more than they would have to drive on the, the following kickoff had you take the, the field goal like they did. But if you go for it on fourth down, get the touchdown, okay, it's tied game. We got ourselves a shot at overtime. Okay, if you don't get it, at least you could say you went for the win and now the Chiefs have to drive 90 yards and you're still giving yourself a better opportunity than if you were to take that field goal. And it's just simple things like that, Ed. As a head coach, you have to understand, yes, exactly, I don't have guys that are capable of beating the Chiefs, but I have done a good job up until this point. I put myself in a situation to where this is the one play I have to make to beat the Chiefs, but he doesn't take it. He doesn't take it. And his tail's tucked between his legs, and that's why he loses football games, Ed. It's fourth and nine. You haven't beaten them in 12 games. Go for the win. Go for the win. Make them drive 90 yards if you don't get it. Like, I'm 20 years old, Ed, and I understand that this that, that puts you in a better situation to win. Vic Vangio has played football for three of my lifetimes. You just got it. You have to understand that situation. And it's it's that's just one. It's situations like that week in and week out. It's where he, and this that could be on the offensive coordinator or whatever. He's not calling the plays, so be it. He's the head coach. Tell your guys, we're going for this. We haven't beaten them in five years. We're going for it. And sorry, I'm getting I'm getting worked up about it because that call drove me nuts, Ed. It, it just, it's the fact that he doesn't, you know, I get it. Drew Locke and Bridgewater aren't your guys. We've said that a million times. But at the end of the day, you just got to say, let's go for it. Let's let's do it. Because you're like, it, when your tail is tucked between your legs, you're not going to beat the Chiefs. End of story. And they've had more than enough opportunities the last three years to do so, and they just didn't do it once. So I had a baseball coach once tell me, he said, I don't ever criticize a player for base running mistakes as long as they're aggressive. And that was paradigm shifting, right? Because... You know, me as a as a young baseball player, I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I know in a Little League game, you know, or a baseball game or a high school game or 
something. I mean, the one thing is, is I don't want to make a fool of myself, right? So I don't want to make a fool of myself with a base running error, right? Or, you know, taking an extra base when I shouldn't. You know, I, I, uh, I was in a game, it was a non-league game in high school, and there was a guy, I, I, was, I was on first base, and I, and I took second, and the guy was just sitting there, and he wasn't really trying very hard, and he kind of fumbled the ball and stuff like that, so I, I, I took third base. My coach said later, he said, he said, why, why, why would you, you know, if, if Matt Drew had done that, we would have said great play, but I, I wasn't exactly the best player on the team. But, but he said, but, but he said, that was, a, that ended up being a great play. And that ended up changing the dynamic of the game because basically what I had done is I had taken a risk. Yes. But I had also, I had also caught him napping. Yes. When you, when you play a team that's evenly matched with you, the more aggressive team wins, Right. The more the team that takes th- that that plays the more aggressive style wins, and that was kind of that's kind of and, and it's kind of difficult from a psychological standpoint because, I mean, a lot of times in a game we just don't want to make we just don't want to make a fool of ourselves, right? Like we don't we don't really want to make a fool of ourselves. But b- for that move, I had helped my team win my game, and I got to bat lead off the next game, because I was aggressive. So that I mean I, I'm just saying. I'm saying I agree with you on the on the aggressive style. I mean, I think I think the the good coaches in the NFL they know to be aggressive. They know to go for it on fourth down, like like the Chargers do. They, you know, they know Mike Tomlin, most aggressive coach in the league. We know Bill Belichick will be aggressive even when you're napping, right? Like he's that kind of coach, and that kind of is one of the things strategically that separates the good coaches from the average coaches. Right. And it's it's not even necessarily, you know, being aggressive 24-7. It's being calculated aggressive, you know, catching them when they're napping, being aggressive when, hey, it's now or never time. When you have to get it, just go and do it. End of story. Um, like you said, you know, you don't want to make a fool of yourself. Okay. Fangio's thinking, hmm, maybe if I go for it and I don't get it, I'll get criticized saying, oh, why didn't you take the points? But at the end of the day, it's just simple math, man. It's simple math. You're going to have to get a touchdown regardless if you kick that field goal. So um, it's, it's, he's, Fangio gets a fair amount of criticism. And the fact that he was, you know, almost trying to save himself from more criticism ended up landing him in an even bigger pool of criticism. So I just, Fangio, I feel like he couldn't figure out what he really wanted. You know what I mean? I couldn't tell what this team really was. I get they were a defensive-based team. I get that. But there was no identity to what the Denver Broncos were or were going to be. You know what I mean? They they didn't come into a game with statements. Like, it's just, you know, and, and you, you're playing a close game with Denver. Nine times out of ten, you know you're going to get the win because Denver just makes those small errors that will shoot themselves in the foot at the end of the day and they're not being aggressive not taking those risks and honestly Ed I like I really think that was the difference maker in the decision to parting ways with Fangio is hey this guy is not taking the win when it's there for the grabbing so we're going to get a guy that you know thanks for you know the defensive tendencies you've caught our guy, you've taught our guys and you know the defensive schemes that our guys can now implement into hopefully our next um you know, next defensive scheme, we got to go in a different direction for head coach, which, and 
it, it sucks because I love what he did for the defense. I mean, with Fangio there, you know you're going to have at least a top 10 defense every single year. But at the end of the day, you just you can't you can't win when only your defense is producing. I mean, defense wins you championships, but sometimes you just need a little bit of help from that offense head. But enough of uh, complaining about Vic Vangio. I could go on and on about that one, Ed. Why don't we hop into some of the most exciting stuff that we have to talk about this week? Ed, I had an opportunity to watch this national championship game with you, and you saw how excited I was when Georgia was able to get that interception at the end and seal the win. I mean, you know, honestly, a pretty pretty boring game for the first three quarters, but come quarter, quarter number four, excuse me, we had one heck of a football game, Ed. Um, just br- bring me into that game. What was going on with Alabama and Georgia that day, Ed? I mean, a simple thing is, is that this meant more to Georgia. I mean, when Georgia lost that SEC championship, they came back and said, we're going to beat Alabama, and it showed up in the fourth quarter. Alabama was the better team, but Georgia wanted it more, and that's why even Stetson Bennett played well enough, didn't turn the ball over. Through the air, he did turn the ball over, but he didn't throw. He didn't throw any interceptions. They did, but they did. They they did do the things they needed to do to win. They did want it more than Alabama. No, oh, absolutely, Ed. I mean, and you saw it when, at the end of the game when Stetson Bennett was crying on the sideline. I mean, I'm so unbelievably. I I said it when he beat Michigan. I'm so happy for this kid because he was not supposed to be the guy. I mean, Georgia fans didn't even want him on the roster. They wanted Daniels all day, but Stetson Bennett, I mean, the the dude through everything, I mean, he is one of the coolest stories in American sports. I, I think you sent a tweet about it. He is, at on Monday, he was the best story in American sports. I mean, dude played junior college at one point and now just won a national championship for his favorite college as a walk-on. I mean, it's just amazing. And then Kirby Smart is able to get his second biggest, or uh, was able to hand Nick Saban his second biggest loss in Alabama history. I mean, that's just awesome. And to be a former assistant of, of Nick Saban, I, I believe he's what, the second Nick Saban assistant ever to beat Nick Saban? Ever? I mean, that's unbelievable. And um, we know Kirby Smart has, he's got a handful of opportunities and he's finally, you know, gotten his one. And I know that this one feels a hundred times better than any, any win he could have ever had. And you just, you got to give your hats off to the defensive play calling for Georgia, Ed. I mean, oh my gosh, that was one of the most aggressively called games I've ever seen. I just have to say it was, yes, Georgia wanted this game more, but it was the perfect storm for Georgia. It was the perfect storm because the only way I really think Bama was going to tear Georgia's defense apart is if you have your top tier receivers running, simply just running past people. And if you don't have Mechie or Jamison Williams, I mean, yes, Alabama's receivers are super talented, but there's a lack of experience. And, you know, once you're playing the best defense in college football, lack of experience is really going to hurt you. So Jamison Williams went out early. And at that point, Georgia realized we can go absolutely bonkers with our front seven. I mean, they were blitzing every freaking play, dude, leaving everybody in single coverage, and it worked perfectly. They were able to get in Bryce Young's head. I've never seen Bryce Young under so much, excuse me, I've never seen Bryce Young under so much pressure um, and, you know, just look so flustered in a game in his entire career. It, it Everything just worked out so perfectly for Georgia, 
And with those receivers going out, they responded with the absolute most perfect game plan you could have drawn up. I mean, Kirby Smart and company did a phenomenal job. I think Georgia won this because they wanted it more. I think this this win meant more. I, I I think I think Kirby Smart deserves a lot of credit for how he's built this Georgia program. I mean, Georgia's always been a top program, but I mean, when you when you talk about recruiting, right? Like you got you got you know you got Texas, you know you got you got LSU, you got Alabama, and you got Georgia, right? And you know back in the day it was Tennessee, and you know there's Florida and so forth, and but but really. Really, I mean, they're, they're really, uh, you know, the number one stop for, for top recruits is, is Alabama. You know what I'm saying? But if you don't want to go to Alabama, then the number one place to go is Georgia. You know what I'm saying? And all the things we say about Nick Saban, I mean, he a lot of those things are being done by Georgia. I mean, Georgia, Georgia isn't, I mean, really Georgia's nemesis is Alabama and Alabama beating them and having to play them in the SEC championship. If 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 Georgia doesn't have to play Bama in the SEC championship, Georgia doesn't have very many losses in the last five years. Right. No, absolutely, Ed. Um, and you know, just I think a big part of Georgia, you know, able or grasping that win was in the fourth quarter. Every opportunity that was given to them, they took it. I mean, Stetson Bennett, when they had that free play, he had no second thoughts in his mind that he was going to take a shot to that end zone. And, you know, luckily you're able to make a fantastic play in the corner of the end zone and a uh, phenomenal catch. And that really was like, okay, George is kind of in control of this thing now. Now it's Bama's game to go out and win. You can, In a game like that, you just can't give people free plays. Um, because they're cut, The best teams in the league will take advantage of them. And I'm so happy that Stetson Bennett was able to take advantage of that and make a fantastic play. One other person, Ed, that I think we need to give a shout out to wasn't on Georgia's team. Will Anderson, Ed. Will Anderson is absolutely unreal. Unreal. I mean, that guy was disrupting every single play for Georgia. If Georgia had an unsuccessful play, it was because of that man, Will Anderson, in the backfield. Uh, they they were seriously, they, they couldn't figure him out. They could not figure him out. I, I think if Alabama won that game, that he would have been the defensive player of the game 110%. I mean, he is unbelievable, and that is a future, very early first-round draft pick. Ed, he is just so fun to watch, and um, you just—I can't—I can't talk about this game without giving some credit to how well he played. Yeah, I, I will say that the only thing—the only thing I will say about some of these sophomores is like some of these sophomores really peak as sophomores, and then they don't show it as juniors. You know what I'm saying? I saw that with Sam Howell. I mean, I thought. I thought for sure Sam Howell would, you know, or Spencer Rattler would be, would be the top pick this year. And then, you know, Sam Howell just didn't have a great year. You know what I'm saying? So, but Will Anderson, I mean, Will Anderson seems like he has the kind of talent. It's only going to go up from here for Alabama. And and Alabama is going to be, I mean, Alabama is kind of a young team. I mean, that's, that's, that's a scary thing to think next year. If you've got Alabama on your schedule next year, and they lost in the national championship, and they were the number one team for for part of the year, and they're now a that's a young team. I mean, it's scary to think what they're going to be next year. Right, might as well forfeit that game before it even happens. <laughs> yeah, you no, know, absolutely, and it's it's just insane to think that he is only a sophomore. I mean, it's 
it's how how could this guy get better, Ed? I mean, if if he gets any better, I think he, he he's a lock for you know absolutely, you know potentially a top ten guy. Which is you know I know I'm you and I aren't huge on taking linebackers that early, but I mean if you have a guy that can ball, you have a guy that can ball. End of story. And Will Anderson is going to be that guy. Oh, um, oh, I would definitely take a linebacker that early. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah, the kind of linebacker that he is. Yeah. Cause I mean, no, and yeah, I mean, I, he he could be like your next Darius Leonard in a way. Like he he is he locks down your linebacking core, and he's just the type of guy that could elevate everybody's game around him. I, I I mean, when you got a Micah Parsons, you know, you got. I mean, I I think I think you maybe you use him on the edge. You know what I'm saying? You use him on the edge, and he brings that pass rushing help. So he's going to help you as a pass rusher in a different way, but. He's still going to be. I, I think he's. I think he's comparable, if not better, than uh, Micah Parsons. He's got better college production than Micah Parsons. No, absolutely, and you know, I think I think Micah Parsons was a little bit of a surprise with how good he was. I don't think many people expected him to be in Defensive Player of the Year runnings, but I mean, that's that's just a huge compliment for Will Anderson to even you know be spoken in the same sentence as Parsons because. I mean, from from what you're looking on college tape, I mean, Will Anderson might might be the better college prospect per se, um, which is which is just unbelievable to me. Um, but I'm I'm really excited to see what that guy's future holds, and um, you know, next year, Ed, he is going to be looking for his revenge in that national championship game, and who knows, it might be Georgia versus Alabama again. I I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I've watched enough college football to know that the same teams seem to come back every year. But I don't. I don't think it'll be the exact same too. I mean, they're usually the odds odd favorites at the beginning of the year. Usually, someone else emerges. I mean, I think. I think. I think you're going to see new things from, you know, Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers. I think you're going to see um, Oklahoma. I don't think will be in the top ten. Um, so I mean, I, I. I. I do. I do. I mean, you know, those are going to be some favorites, but. Um, you know, I, I think someone else will emerge. It's just in, in 365 days, someone else always emerges. Absolutely. Some teams just, they just figured out like who, who's going to be the next Cincinnati, you know, it, it's always going to happen. So Ed, why don't we hop over into our, uh, our only interview for this show? We have Dan Luba, a defensive tackle from Lenore Rhine. So Ed, I'm going to let you and Dan take over and we'll get you back on the show in a second. I'd like to welcome Dan Luba to the show. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Pretty good, man. Do you have an update on your injury against Newberry? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm fully healed, fully fully back in the uh, full grand scheme of things. Um, I injured, I had an injury in the spring, but um, I've been I've been doing everything, running and and just being back to football, so I didn't. I only missed um, two games this season. Uh, really, only one uh, because of the injury, and I was able to have a full season. What did you study as an undergrad? Uh, my major was uh, information technology. Oh wow! And uh, what do you want to do with that? Um, for a little bit, I wanted to uh, maybe work in like the private sector or maybe in in the government field um i like one of my dreams was to really like be in the cia uh mm-hmm. just like watching like uh tv shows and just seeing how like people like hack into things and that that just kind of excited me 
And uh, what degree are you working on in graduate school? Uh, right now, I'm getting my MBA with um, with a concentration in business analytics and IT. That's cool. Talk to me about your blocked field goal. What do you remember about that play? My blocked field goal? Yeah, your blocked field goal. I mean, I just remember, like, my coach is telling me how it's important to go hard every play and every – and especially, like, people want to take um, field goals and just kind of, like, they get down on themselves uh, from just getting scored on, and um, every point matters. So me being able to block that field goal is just a great opportunity and showcase that, like, I'm going to go hard 100% of the time. What does it mean to be named All-South Atlantic Conference? Actually, it's amazing. Um, being able to be a first-team all-conference guy for uh, three years in my college career, it's, it's amazing. It just shows the hard work that I've put in and, and um, just gives me the recognition of um, being the best in my conference. Which uh, technique or position fits fits you best on the defensive line? And I mean at the NFL level. Uh, my The thing that would fit me best is probably three-tech. Um, I've been playing it for three years. That's the uh, position I'm most comfortable at. I've played defensive end. I've played nose guard. But the three-tech position is probably the best place for me, uh, just based off my skill set, uh, the quickness I have, the ability to disrupt um, – the plays and um, being able to bully off a salami, I think the three-tech position is just a perfect position. And uh, uh, just me being able to get sacks is just – the three-tech position is probably just the best position I feel like that would uh, translate in the NFL for me. Do you pride yourself more in technique or athleticism? I want to say a little bit of both. Um, just kind of – I am real. I'm real athletic, so being able to just be, um, being able to move better than offensive linemen, and and I would also say technique as well, because uh, just practicing and reps, um, doing like practice and learning, um, and soaking up everything that my defensive line coaches over the years have taught me. So I would like to say it's a little bit of both. Did you play at all with Kyle Duggar, the safety from the Patriots? Uh, yes, I did. Um, I played with him my sophomore and junior year. What was your interaction with him like? Um, we're actually we were um good friends. Um, he kind of like just led by example and uh just showed everybody what it took to how it took to practice and um and you see him him playing at the next level playing at at a great uh playing great at the next level so like all the things that he left for us and just showed us how to um, practice and how to attack everything who's one defensive lineman you look up to in the nfl um everybody likes to say um aaron donald but most of the time, like I really like the way Ndamukong Sue played, mm-hmm. uh, just how physical and disruptive he was, and like I, I don't have that, uh, I don't have like a, like a, a nasty side, like a dirty side, but uh, like he gets the bad. Um, people think that he's a dirty player, but I just think that he has a lot of passion. So, well, Dan, thanks for being on the show.
Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show, Dan Luba. We really appreciate your time. And um, Ed, I always appreciate you doing these interviews. They're always, always awesome. So hopefully get you back on the show sometime soon. Why don't we hop into this super, super exciting playoff preview for the NFL? I mean, this is going to be such an exciting wild card weekend. And I don't even know which game I'm most excited about. Um, why don't why don't we hop in one of the first ones, which is going to be the Raiders at the Bengals. This is a game that is going to be really tough to pick, honestly. But, you know, like I was saying a little bit ago, I just, I think the Raiders are going to be a tough team to beat coming into this. Now, I know a lot of people probably are going to choose the Bengals because, I mean, why wouldn't you? You got Joe Burrow, who's red hot, Jamar Chase, the best rookie receiver ever. And, you know, Joe Mixon, who's, you know, was top 10 in rushing yards this year. And the defense, you know, they've been playing good enough. They were the number one team in the AFC North. So um, everything's going against the Raiders, right? They shouldn't win this game. But, man, they just have Derek Carr. That's all I That's all I got to say is I think Derek Carr will be the difference maker this game. You know, the first time he was supposed to be in the playoffs in 2016, that foot injury kept him out. So he didn't get to play the game where he had an MVP caliber season that got his team to the playoffs. He'd never got a chance to play. This will be his first career playoff game ever. And I know how bad this guy wants it. And he is not going to leave Wild Card Weekend with a loss, Ed. Yeah, I just think Joe Burrow has had too good of a year. I, I think I think Joe Burrow, quarterback play matters in the playoffs. I think Joe Burrow against Derek Carr. I'm going to take Joe Burrow um, there at home. I see the Bengals winning this 28-21. 28-21. All right, I respect it. A one-possession game. All right, let's go. Now, this next one, Ed, Pats and Bills, in my opinion, is absolutely the hardest game of the of wild card weekend to pick the high of this game ed is going to be zero degrees do you remember what happened last time conditions were similar to this and the bills played the patriots the patriots threw the ball three times and won. they won with one complete or two completions ed i think this game is going to come down to who can run the ball better and whose defense is going to play better and honestly ed i see the patriots doing it again i i you know, in a game like this, if you want to throw the ball, I think Josh Allen's your guy. But last time the conditions were like this, he just wasn't necessarily that guy. So I, at the end of the day, you need to be able to run the ball in conditions like this. And the the Bills just are not that team. The Bills are not that team. And even if they were, I think the Patriots run game defensively would step up big time. And honestly, this game, I, I have to take the Patriots in a really low scoring game. I'm going to say 17-14 Patriots. So I think Bill Bill's shown that he can win under pressure. Um, I think he's upset about last week. I think he wants revenge. You know when Bill wants revenge, he's going to win a head-to-head. Right. Um, as, you, as you basically said, Josh Allen's taken out of this game. I think the Patriots win 26-24. Okay, okay. Now let's hop over into one of the biggest surprise playoff teams and the number two seed in the NFC the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Eagles in Tampa Bay. I mean, this one, I think, <laughs> I think most of America knows who, who we're going to pick. I mean, you, you got to go with the defending Super Bowl champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Um, the Eagles necessarily weren't even, they're not, they weren't, uh, weren't supposed to be in this situation, you know, but last year in the wild card, the Washington football team nearly knocked off Tom Brady. So I don't expect this to be a blowout. I really don't. I think it'll be a close game. The Bucks really just don't blow people out lately. 
um, they just find ways to win it at the end. And I think that's kind of what's going to happen. But there's zero chance on earth that Tom Brady loses wild card weekend. End of story. I don't care who the Buccaneers were playing this week. They were going to win the football game. I, I'm going to agree with you. I, I think Tom Brady in the playoffs, you got the experience of the Bucks against the experience of the Eagles. I have the Bucks winning this 27-17. All right, all right. Um, my score for that one, I mean, honestly, I could see that being a close game. I'm going to say 28-21. Give me 28-21. And then Niners at Cowboys. I think this might make for the best wild card weekend game, Ed. I think this is going to be such a fun game to watch. Um, and I think I think a lot of people have the Cowboys in this one, but I don't know what it is. I, I'm just feeling the Niners, man. For what they were able to do against the Rams, to have that insane comeback, win it in overtime, get the game-sealing interception in overtime to send you to the playoffs, you're feeling good coming into this game, Ed. You are feeling good. The defense is playing top-notch football, and I am not a fan of Jimmy Garoppolo. I am one of the biggest Jimmy G haters out there. But I mean, I. But think it's not who he right is now, as a person. It's no, what he is as a, no, it's, it's oh, I love him. He's a great human being, great human being. But I don't love him as a football player. But I think how he's playing right now is good enough to win this game. Just because Debo Samuel's playing at a career high level, George Kittle is playing phenomenal football, and Elijah Mitchell has been awesome for you. So I think everything right now, the 49ers are playing some of the best football of their entire season right now. Meanwhile, the Cowboys aren't. I really, really like San Fran in this one, Ed. I'm going to take San Fran 28-24. Wow, okay. I was going to... I have the 40... I have uh, have Dak winning this game. I think it's quarterback head-to-head. I think Dak versus Jimmy G. I think that's the difference in this game. I think Dak scores at the last end. Uh, wins it on a field goal, and I think it's twenty-seven, twenty-four. Uh, oh wow! I, I think the uh, the Cowboys win this one. You know, and this is one that I, I absolutely respect. That uh, I could see the Cowboys getting this one just because I think the Cowboys are the better football team. But man, I am I am really one for teams that are hot when it matters most, and I just I like the Niners in this one. But I totally see where you're coming from. If this is a game that comes down to Hey, which quarterback's going to play better? Absolutely, it's going to be the Cowboys. But I think that defense will be the reason that the the 49ers pull this one off. Now, Ed, I know (laughs) you're excited for this one. The Steelers at the Kansas City Chiefs, Ed. You know, as a Browns fan, zero chance on earth I'm taking the Steelers in this one. But you know the crazy thing is, man? I could see them pulling it off. I just can because... That would be such a Steelers thing to do. I'm going to go with the Chiefs just because my heart will not allow me to stay the Steelers. I think at the end of the day, if if you're asking these quarterbacks to come out here and throw the ball, you know, 30 plus times, we know Mahomes is going to be more successful doing that. And even if, you know, Ben has honestly been playing pretty solid the last few weeks. I'll give him that. But I just think that there's not enough downfield offense for this um, against this Kansas City Chiefs team right now to beat them. Um, I think Najee Harris is going to play a huge role in this game and taking care of the football, but I just I, I see the Chiefs just slinging at this one and finding a way to just simply outscore the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I, I don't as a Steeler fan I want to pick the Steelers, but I can't. Um, Patrick Mahomes at home at Arrowhead. I got the Steelers losing twenty eight twenty eight seventeen. 
Hey, I, I, I respect that, not being a homer. Uh, we all know who, if, if that was like the Browns and Chiefs, we know who I would have picked. <laughs> yeah, but. I just, I, I, I can't, I can't. I have to use my brain in this situation. And um, <laughs> I respect the realism, Ed. I respect it. So Cardinals-Rams, Ed, this is going to be another really tough one. But honestly, I think this one comes down to coaching. And I'm taking Sean McVay 11 times out of 10. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is going to put his team in a position to, you know, to win this game. I just don't. Uh, Sean McVay has been there. He's coached in a Super Bowl and he's one of my favorite coaches in the league. And right now, right now, I'm absolutely taking Matt Stafford over Kyler Murray. And I, I get Kyler Murray has, you know, had a phenomenal season, but in a game like this, when it's mattered the most, I mean, we've just, we've seen the Cardinals kind of collapse under pressure. And meanwhile, I think the Rams are just defensively, I think they're better put together for a Super Bowl run. I mean, they have the better front seven. Uh, I think they have the better secondary. Jalen Ramsey has been absolutely otherworldly the last few weeks. Um, And I I think almost every single last thing, I think I just slightly got to give it to the Rams in this game. I just, I I don't see how the Cardinals are going to beat the Rams. I, I just don't, Ed. Yeah, I, I got I got the Rams in this one. Uh, th- this is an if then statement though. If Stafford doesn't play, then I got the Cardinals. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, th- and, th- and there is a chance be... that Stafford doesn't play in this game. Right. Uh, if, if Stafford's not playing in this game, I don't think the Rams have a chance. But um, correct me if I'm wrong. The Rams got Cam Cam Akers back for this game, so that also adds a whole new. You know, uh, I I doubt that they're gonna you know give him. A heavy workload after coming off of a what was it a MCL tear? Unbelievable that he's playing after that. But um, I that just adds another element to the offense. So I think now the chi- the the cards are going into this game with a lot of question marks on how they're going to approach this game defensively because you don't really know how the Rams are going to attack offensively. Uh, so like you said, Ed, we got it. We got to go with the Rams in this one. But Ed, I I think that does it for our uh, playoff preview. I am so beyond excited to see how this pans out, and I have my fingers crossed that the Steelers don't find a way to pull this victory <laughs> off. <laughs> Anybody but the Steelers? Is that what you're rooting? You're rooting. Anybody guy? but the Steelers, the Brandon, Ed. Anybody. The rooting guide. Are you are you a big <laughs> Chiefs guy now? <laughs> no, I mean, hey, if I have to be, if I have to be, Ed, I really appreciate you every week, man. I mean, I it's always a fantastic time talking about football with you. Wouldn't want to be doing it with anybody else anywhere else. So appreciate you, my friend. Brendan, thanks as always, and I'm excited for next week. And I wanted to thank everybody else for tuning into this episode of Blitzcast, and we'll be right back next week, and we'll we'll talk about the you know upcoming matchups, what happened with this with this week's of matchups, and hopefully I'm talking about the Chiefs uh, running all over the Steelers. So you all have a fantastic rest of your week, and take it easy.